Thank you for listening to the weekly message from Trinity of Fairview. Here's Pastor Stacy Harris. Got a copy of the Word. Open up to the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 26. I'm just going to read one verse in your hearing today and really focus in on, uh, on one uh, little phrase at the end of it. See if we can't milk it for all we're worth here today. I've been preaching through this book on Wednesday nights, talking about the church, the early church. Man, we look at her and we stand in awe of the power of God that was at work in her midst, at the things he was able to accomplish in and through her. We read of her beginnings there uh, with Jesus teaching the, the leaders for all those days of the kingdom of God. We see her birth in the upper room when the Holy Ghost really, for the first time there, breathed life into the church as we know it. And the Holy Ghost fell, and they spoke with tongues, and people were saved and born into the kingdom of God. They heard in their own language mighty and miraculous move of the Holy Spirit of God. We've seen her business, the power and the authority, the miracle working power of the Lord that dwells in her midst. And let me ask you today, how many of y'all believe that there's still miracle working power of God alive and well in his church today? Man, there is. That's the business of the early church, and it's the business of the latter church to have the power of God at work in her. We've read of her bedrock in this book, the people that have made her what she is, the battles, we're currently in a phase on Wednesday night of what I call the building of the church, her expansion across national lines. There at the house of Cornelius, we see that the gospel breached the precipice that, that held it within the Jewish nation and made the faith a whole lot more than just a little sect of Judaism. I'm glad today that the Lord in his providence made a way for me to be a part of the family of God. I'm glad today that I can be a part of the kingdom of the living God because of of his grace and his mercy, we see the church in these chapters begin to expand across national lines. In the latter part of chapter 11, we see the church come to take on a, a what I call a new name. Formerly, she had been known only as the way, if you will, right here. We see that she's given a brand new name. Let's read together Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. It says, when he had found him, that's speaking of Barnabas, he was gone to look for, for Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him down to Antioch, a Gentile city, where a move of the Holy Spirit was well underway. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with a church. Paul and Barnabas stayed with these people at Antioch. And what did they do? They taught them, not a few people. The word says they taught much people there at Antioch a year under the tutelage of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. Now, I don't know about you, but if I could choose a couple of pastors to sow into my life, I think Paul and Barnabas would be a good duo to choose to sit at the feet of. And the word says almost parenthetically in the latter part of verse 26, something that I want to focus on right here today. And the disciples, it says, were called, will you say that word out loud together? Christians first in Antioch. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. I got to thinking about what a compliment is and how we compliment one another today. And it is good to, to give one another compliments and encouraging words, especially if they're true. 
We compliment each other on a lot of fronts. We compliment each other on our appearance, don't we? When we begin to, to talk good to one another and compliment one another, we kind of start with the appearance. Doesn't it always make you feel good when somebody asks you, did you lose weight? Man, that just makes my head swell. I mean, if I've gained 10 pounds and somebody says, hey, did you lose weight? Man, I get to feeling pretty good about myself and get to ushering myself along. And man, I, I tell you, it makes you feel good when somebody compliments your appearance. If you want to really bless your wives, gentlemen, let them come out in their Sunday best and, and man say, hey, that dress looks great on you. I'm careful to ask my wife sometimes. Is that a size 2 or a size 4, honey? You want to bless your wife, just ask her that, man. She'll live throughout all eternity if you do that. Hey, is that a, a size 2 or a size 4? I found out with little Tammy, I don't even have to say a word that's audible or understandable. Sometimes I just look at her and I say, mmm, 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 mmm. And man, that'll do what no words can do in her life. The coup de grace is this. You've been working out. How many of y'all ever had it? Hey, hey, you've been working out, man. I'm telling you, you talk about feeling good about yourself. You'll go home and find every reflective surface in the house and begin to, man, I, I, I guess I am getting a little swole up these days. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm looking pretty good. We like these compliments on our appearance. We compliment one another on our abilities, man, on our sports abilities. Man, that guy has athletic ability. I have so many friends that they can do anything. You name whatever sport it is, and man, they have an innate ability to be able to do it. We compliment our kids on, on how well they play. We compliment them on their brains and how smart they are, and we well should do that to compliment one another on our abilities. We compliment one another on our actions. Man, that was a, a fine thing you did. Man, you're turning into a, a fine young man, a fine young woman. But I want you to take a minute with me today. And if you're a note taker, and maybe if you, even if you're not, I want you to take just a minute and think about this. What's the greatest compliment that you ever receive? What is it? What is that thing in your life then when you go back, that someone said to you that you think, you know, I, I just don't know if it gets any better than that. I, I don't know if anybody will ever say anything to me that means any more than what they just said. Let your mind just work a minute and say, well, what is it? What is the greatest thing that you've ever had anybody say about you? I'm going to tell you what mine is. I received the greatest compliment I ever got some months ago. I was getting my oil changed at a little service station, a place I go all the time, take all my cars there. I always make it a habit to show up at lunchtime. You know why? Because I got a great little grill inside. You can leave them your keys outside and let them work on your car. You can go inside and order one of the best cheeseburgers with mustard and ketchup. You'll ever eat in your life some crinkle fries, praise be unto God. On this particular day, they were giving away free slices of orange creamsicle cake. Can you say, hallelujah? I mean, this was a good day for me. I was sitting in there eating as I always am while they're changing my oil. They always get done with my automobile before I get done with my cheeseburger. Always do. They walk in there with my keys and my ticket in my hand and say, Thank you. You know, you pay. You're free to go. We're done with you. This particular day, a young man walked in. He laid my keys down and he looked at me. I thought, Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Something's wrong with the car. Something's going on. He's got something to tell me. He looked at me and he said, I just want to tell you something. He said, You're one of the 
finest examples of what a Christian ought to be in this world that I've ever seen. And I'm going to tell you, I don't know if it'll ever get any better than that. What a humbling moment. Because you see, I know myself inside and out. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So the compliment really wasn't for me. The compliment was for my heavenly father who in spite of me was shining somehow in and through me for his own glory, his own honor, and his own praise. And when the people of Antioch looked at the Christians in Antioch and said, man alive, we used to call them the way, but we're going to have to call them something else. We're going to have to call them Christians. That church received the highest compliment that she would ever receive. And I'm going to tell you the greatest thing that anybody could say about Trinity of Fairview has nothing to do with our talents or, or our abilities. It has nothing to do uh, with our programs or the growth. It has nothing to do with the beautiful facility that we have. The greatest thing that anybody could ever say about this little group of believers right here is that they are Christians in the truest sense of the word. It won't ever get any better than that in this world. This little church right here lived in such a way to receive this compliment from the world. And I want us to consider just one word, that word Christian today. In our gathering, I want us to let it roll around in our mind and, and roll around in our, our spirits and see what we can milk that might apply to our life and our experience on this planet in this coming year. Number one, I want you to see that the word Christian here is what I call a moniker. It's what I call a nickname. You know what we've reduced the word Christian to today? Some kind of religious affiliation. Well, I'm a Christian. That's what people say. And you know what they're saying? Well, I'm, a, I'm of this religion. We've reduced it to a little checkbox on a census when it comes around or a place where somebody's gathering information on us. It's just one of the options that we have to check off. But that's not the sense of the word that's used right here. It was a descriptive term, a moniker. You know what the word moniker means? It means an alias or a nickname. Now, we've all had nicknames in our life, and we hang nicknames on famous people, and man, we refer to them often. I, I bet if I called a few people by their regular name that you could tell me what their nickname is, and they're known better by their nickname than they really are by their regular name. I want you to let your mind drift back in the field of entertainment a little ways. Some of you younger people in the house might not know this, but some of us more mature people in the house will surely understand this person. A man named Frank Sinatra used to sing and, and act a little bit. What did they call him? What was his nickname? Old Blue Eyes, baby. Old Blue Eyes. A man named Elvis Presley came on the scene. They called him uh, for some time in his early going, Elvis the... Pelvis. Now that's really going back a little ways for, for some of you guys. Elvis the pelvis in the world of entertainment. I'd try to do that, but I'd have to go see the chiropractor in the morning, and you might have to cart me off of hearing somebody else preach that earned him the nickname Elvis the pelvis. How, how about in the world of sports? We go back uh, way back to a guy named George Herman Ruth. Did they name a candy bar after him? I don't think so, but what did they, what did they call him? Babe, the great Bambino. He had all kind of nicknames, and he's better known as, as Babe. Guy that broke his record in latter years, Henry Aaron. What'd they call him? 
Hammering Hank. That's the way we're known. Guy that drove a stock car, black, number three. We called him. His name was Dale Earnhardt. What did most people call him? Now, don't say how you feel about him. I'm talking about his nickname right here. What did they call him? They called him the Intimidator. And we see we hang these nicknames on famous people, and they're, they're better known by their nicknames than they are by their famous names or their, their given names, really. Not only do we hang nicknames on famous people, we hang nicknames on familiar people. Some of them are kind, and some of them aren't so kind. We have nicknames for our spouses. I asked my wife this morning, I said, Honey, what is it that you think your nickname for me is? What is it that you call me? She, she doesn't call me Stacy, and I was just interested to hear if she was cognizant of what she called me. And she said, Well, I guess I call you babe most of the time, and she does. That's music to my ears. In our early relationship, she called me Honey all the time. I had a great nickname for her for a lot of years, Little Chicken. How I many of y'all hear that was my <laughs> nickname for her for a lot of years? I suggested to her this morning, maybe we change mine to something like Stud Muffin. How I many of y'all, hey, hey, Honey and Babe, that's all good. Maybe, maybe Stud Muffin. Man, I tell you, nicknames, these names were not just given to these folks. They were earned by them. The people of that town gave them that nickname. They didn't give it to their self. It was that the people in Antioch observed their behavior. And they said, the best thing that we can call these people are Christians. The best name that we can assign to them in light of their manner of living and the way that they conduct themselves, the greatest thing that we can call them is Christians. So this is not a religious affiliation. This is not a, a checkbox on a census. This is an assessment of how people were living their daily lives. A moniker, an alias that fit their behavior. And that's why I say the greatest thing that anybody could say about you or this church today is that you are a Christian in the greatest sense of the word. Christian's not only a moniker. I want you to see that Christian here also has a particular meaning. I said they earned this nickname. And this nickname had to do with the way they lived, beloved. And it was concluded that, man, this was the only thing we can call them. The meaning of this nickname is this. The word Christian means this, little Christ or like Christ. So what they did was look at their lives and their behavior, and it stirred within them a memory. They said, man, we remember this Jesus Christ. We remember he walked on this planet. We remember how he lived. And when we look at this, folks, man, we see so much of him in them that we just can't help ourselves but to call them little bitty Christ. They're running around here doing the same thing, looking the same way, acting the same way, talking the same way as this man Jesus Christ did. This word Christian meant something. It meant they were little Christ. So to say they were like Christ is to demand that we ask a question today. What is Christ like? If we say that they were like Christ, and we hope folks say that we are like Christ in this day and time as we live, it begs the question, well then, what was Christ like? What was it they saw in these people that hearkened them back to the Lord Jesus Christ and said they're living in the same way that he did? Well, man, we could stay here for time and eternity and talk about the life of Jesus Christ on this planet. But I want to boil it down to just a few things and submit them to you today. As Christ walked on this planet, beloved, make no mistake, he was different. Now, that's a bad thing in our world today. Everybody wants to be the same. Everybody wants to get in line and everybody wants to run to the latest thing and be part of the latest thing going. Jesus Christ wasn't about that. When he walked on this planet, he was unmistakably different from every other thing in this world. 
There never had been a person on earth like Jesus until he showed up. And beloved, we can search the annals of history since he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. We can do biography after biography after biography of great men and great women who've lived on this planet. And there have been a bunch of them. But beloved, there's not one that holds a candle to the Lord Jesus Christ. There never was one like him. There wasn't one like him when he was here. And there never has been one one like him. And let me tell you, throughout all eternity, there'll be no other like the Lord Jesus Christ. He was different in every way, shape, or form than anything anybody had ever seen or heard when he walked on this planet. You remember what they said about him after they sat under his teaching? You remember what they said about him after they encountered him? They said, man, this guy teaches like nobody we've ever heard before. He teaches with great authority and understanding. We've never heard it on this wise before. I wonder today, church, I wonder today if if there's any difference between us and the world. I wonder today if folks look at the church of Jesus Christ and see anything at all different about it than every other person who's living in the world today. And man, I believe the greatest prayer that we could pray as children of God today is, Father, make us different. Father, make us distinct from this old world that we live in. Didn't the word say, you are in the world, that's your position, but you are not of this world. You're a pilgrim and a stranger, and you're just passing through. And when the world observes the church of Jesus Christ, they ought to see something different than they've ever encountered anywhere else. In any way, any shape, or any form. How was Christ on this earth? Well, beloved, he was different. Secondly, I want you to know that he was dynamic. There was nothing plain about him. There was nothing predictable about him. There was nothing stoic about him. There was nothing static about him. He was moving all the time in the power of the Holy Spirit. Man, he had unbridled the power of God. Why? Because he was God as he walked on this planet. Man, he was a dynamic individual, not sitting still, not satisfied with the status quo, but moving and and seeing the power of God at work in him and through him. And I wonder today if that describes the church of the living God. I think another great thing we could pray is, Father, would you fill us with the Holy Spirit to the point that the world would look at us and say, wow, what a dynamic force. We don't understand where that power is coming from, but when we look at them, we see them as a dynamic force in this universe. Now, I tell you, when I grew up, people feared and respected the church of the living God. When I was young, even mean people wouldn't do or say something against the house of God. They'd never think about breaking into it. They'd never think about disturbing it. They'd never think about standing against it. Even a lost man had an understanding that when he messed with the church of the living God, he was fooling with something otherworldly and something that had a dynamic power in aid and infused within it by the grace of the living God. But I wonder today if the world believes, and I wonder today if we even believe, we have access to any power, any authority at all. How many of y'all in this coming year would like to see God do some dynamic things in and through his bride on this planet? Man, I wouldn't only like it, I expect that God is going to show up in this house this year and do some things that the world can't explain, that we can't explain, and that God will have to get the glory for. When he walked on this planet, beloved, he was dynamic. And when they began to look at this early church and saw what was going on, they couldn't mistake that, man, they have the same power and the same authority. They move and breathe in the same way that Jesus Christ himself did while he was on this planet. Thirdly, I believe Jesus was deliberate 
You say, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, I mean he was focused on his Father's will. He didn't do anything willy-nilly. He didn't do anything idly. There was not one word that came out of his mouth that wasn't for a purpose and for the upbuilding and the edifying of the kingdom. He was focused on his Father's will. You remember even as a little boy when they took him to town and he got lost from his mom and dad and they were going crazy looking everywhere, marshalling everybody they could. Where did they find him? Found him in a temple. What was he doing? He was teaching the priest there a few things as a 12-year-old boy. And didn't they even say, gosh, who is this kid, man? We marvel at this kid's understanding of things. And when his mom got there, I'm sure she wanted to wring his neck and, and wear him out and everything that moms ought to do when they find their kid, uh, when they're lost like that. Uh, you want to kill them. Uh, I mean, you're hoping they're alive. You get to them, then you want to kill them. That's just the, that's the way you think about it. And I'm sure she felt that way. And what did he say to her? Woman, don't you understand? Don't you know? That I'm here about what? I'm here about my father's business. In church, what we ought to be this coming year is deliberately about the father's business in this household. We ought to be focused on his will completely in our lives. What is it that God expects? You know, it doesn't even matter what my will is for this church. It doesn't matter what the deacon's body's will is for this church. It doesn't even matter what the people's will is for this church. What matters most is what is the will of God for us right here on this hill. We need to be focused on that and deliberate in our attempts to find it and pursue it. He was focused on the will of his father. He was delivered also in his flowing love for people. Man, you can't read about the Lord Jesus Christ and not understand that he loved people. Man, he was the epitome and the embodiment of love as he walked on this planet. He was the agape love of God in human form on this planet. And when he went and moved, I believe people with searching hearts were naturally drawn to this love, this unconditional love that was being poured out toward them. And I believe if anything ought to hallmark the church of the living God and a person who belongs to God today, it ought to be that they love people. Beloved, I find it impossible. John says, man, if we can't love one another, don't tell yourself that you love God. Beloved, because that's impossible. If you care for Him today, His love is in you. And it's naturally going to flow out to people that are around you. We need to learn to allow the love of God to flow freely. Well, pastor, we can't love this kind of people. And pastor, we can't love that kind of people. And pastor, they're doing that. We can't love them in the midst of that. Let me ask you, how many of y'all are glad that God didn't wait till you were lovable to love you? How many of y'all are glad for that? Man, I'm glad that God commended His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died not for the godly, but He died for the ungodly. And beloved, that's you and that's me. Jesus Christ, man, He was deliberately focused on meeting the needs of people's heart and meeting the needs of people's hands. He was flowing with love for people. He was full of the Holy Spirit and He was full of power when He walked on this planet and so should His church be. We should deliberately seek to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit under His leadership and under His power and under His authority. We ought not make one move in this house that isn't under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and isn't accomplished by His power and His authority. Let me tell you, I believe far too much work is done in the church of the living God by our intellect and by our intelligence and by our diligence. I believe it's time when we get back to just depending on the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through us to accomplish kingdom and eternal work in our midst. 
John sent his disciples on one occasion to Jesus, didn't he, when he was in jail? He knew his time was at hand. He knew he was about had. And he sent his disciples and he said, ask him this for me. Ask him if he's really the one or do we look for another? And the Lord Jesus Christ looked at those disciples and he said, you go back and you tell John that the blind see, that the deaf hear, that the lame walk, and that the gospel is being preached to the poor. And what was he saying is, I am under the anointing. I am the power and the, the work of God working by his power and his authority as I move on this planet. In church, we ought to be deliberately seeking the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God so that the blind may see and the deaf may hear and the lame may walk and that above all, the gospel will be preached to the world in us and through us. Jesus Christ, man. There's a meaning to this name of Christian. It meant like Christ or little Christ. What a church. What a church. Would to God that the people of Fairview could look at us and say, man... That is a group of Christians down there. And it'd be more than a, a religious organization or a checkbox on a census. But that by our behavior, they couldn't help but call us anything but Jesus Christ walking in them and among them. Thirdly, and in way of application to you today, I want you to see here that the word Christian is what I call a motivation. This word's a motivation to us. It ought to motivate us. It ought to move us. I was in the mall uh, not too many days ago. I was walking along and ran into a, an elderly gentleman that I've known most all my life, and he's known me. He stopped me and was talking to me, and talking to me about my ministry and what God was doing. And I hadn't talked to him very long before something became very obvious to me. He thought I was my dad. I was standing there talking to him, and he was talking, how long you been down there? You was down there 40 years, weren't you, Steve? He was calling me Steve, talking about, I thought, how old do I look, man? Can you see anymore? I mean, I, saw, I know I got some gray hair, but I'm not quite that old now. I mean, but you know what you say? Did you stop him? Did you correct him? No. I stood there and let him talk. I lived there and let him extol dad's ministry and let him assign to me all that things. You know why? Because I couldn't think of a person on this planet I'd rather be mistaken for than my father. Wouldn't it be nice this year for somebody to mistake you for the Lord Jesus Christ? Wouldn't it be nice this year for somebody to say, hey, no, wow, I thought that was Jesus, man. I, I, thought, I thought surely it was Jesus when that was happening and moving. I thought God himself must have come back here to this planet. I, I'm hearkening back to Jesus and I see him in and through you. Wouldn't it be a good thing today if the world just mistook us for Jesus on every hand's turn? Wouldn't it be a good thing if they couldn't predict what we were going to do, but man, when they saw it, they said, man, that had to be Jesus in and through them. Wouldn't it be good if we didn't get any glory, if we didn't get any honor, if we didn't get any praise, but when they talked about us, all they could talk about was Jesus, His goodness, His grace, His mercy, and His love. Wouldn't it be something this year if somebody somewhere looked at us and said, wow, I thought for just a fleeting moment that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, what a motivation to us 
Church gurus will tell you today, and I'm not against church growth. I read them. I, I seek after them. I, their principles are good and sound, and they'll help you understand how to grow a church in this environment and in this world. And some things they say are really good. They tell you you ought to figure out your identity, carve out who you are, look at who you're aimed at, and man, you'll never grow till you find yourself. And all those things are real and good, but beloved, I don't think we need to worry so much about who we are. I think we need to worry about who He is and the fact that we just need to reflect him to a lost and dying world. I tell you, the greatest church growth program that we could ever undertake is, Father, would you make us look like the Lord Jesus Christ as we walk and minister on this planet? I believe that work. I believe soul after soul after soul would be drawn to us when we begin to conduct ourselves in the manner that the Lord Jesus Christ did while he was on this planet. They were first called Christians in Antioch. It's a moniker, not a religious affiliation. They looked at their behavior and they assessed it. And they said, man, they're just like Jesus Christ. Meaning, man, to be different. That's what that means on every hand's turn. To be dynamic, that's what that means. To be deliberately prioritizing the things of God above your own desires and wishes. That's what it means to walk like Jesus Christ. What a motivation. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. And I'm going to ask you to make a commitment with me today. I'm going to ask you to make a corporate commitment with me today. Yes, individually. I'm going to ask you to, but I'm going to ask you to make a corporate commitment. And as I begin to challenge you, I'm going to ask you to make it a publicly corporate commitment. As I begin to speak, if the Lord has led you in this place to say, Father, this year, I just want to be like Jesus Christ. And I want to be a part of this church and we corporately want to see His glory, His character reflected in our every action, word, and thought. Are you willing today? This is my challenge to you. Will you by the power of the Holy Spirit say, you know what, I'm going to be that difference maker at work. You know what they need, what I need, is to see somebody different. And under the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be that. What about being that difference maker at home? You know, we're harder on our families than we are anybody else. And what your family might be waiting on is somebody to step up and say, you know what, I'm going to conduct myself differently in our midst than the way we've been doing. Would you commit to say, Father, I just want to look like you. I want to walk like you. I want to talk like you. Would you commit yourself to say, I'm going to love that one that the world has deemed unlovable. That the world has said is, is going to never amount to nothing. Those are the kind of people that Jesus Christ was drawn to. Those are the kind of people that he went to. And he picked them up and dusted them off and made something out of them to confound all the wisest and the most religious. Would you as an individual say, Pastor, I'm going to not treat people as outcasts, but I'm going to treat them as an opportunity for the Lord to display the redemptive power of God to them and to the world in and through us. Would you be willing to be different today, stand out from the crowd, to be marked as one of God's own? I want to challenge you in this moment, if that's you, 
uh, I'm going to ask you to move from your seat. If you say, Pastor, I'm going to commit to be that, and I'm going to pray that our church commits to be that. If that's you, I want you to move from where you are quickly. I'm going to say a commitment prayer here at this altar. I thank you for coming. Come only under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. If you're willing to say, Father, we're not going to be satisfied in 2015 with looking like us anymore. We want to look like the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you just to come. This is not an emotional commitment. This is not a, a commitment that I want to drag you to. This is a sober commitment for you to say, Father, I want to look like Jesus every day that I walk on this earth. Every day. Amen. Maybe in your seat. You're going to make that self-same commitment with every head bowed and every eye closed. I wish you'd just lift your hand high. You may not be able to get down to this altar, but if you lift your hand high, if you're in the seat and say, Pastor, that's me. Just want to look like Jesus to the world. Praise be unto God. Before I pray, I want you to know something. You'll not do this on your own. It's not in you. Only way you'll do it it's when the blessed Holy Spirit of God fills you to overflowing. And the world no longer can see you. But it can't help but see Him flowing out of you. We hope you've been blessed by today's message. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity of Fairview, visit us online at trinityoffairview.org or call 828-628-1188.